On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, Jessica finds herself in Washington, where she must solve a murder while also being on the Senate floor in a very problematic and frustrating episode. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Murder She Wrote podcast, where I watch every single episode of the hit 80 slash 90 show, Murder She Wrote, starring three-time Academy Award nominee and five-time Tony Award winner Miss Angela Lansbury. Today, I'm going to be talking about season one, episode ten, Capital Offense, air date January sixth, nineteen eighty-five. Happy New Year! Cannot believe it's already 2022, and your host, me, Donald Craig, the second, as it says on Spotify for some reason, but I like to be called DJ, is 32 years old, and in the timeline here of Murder, She Wrote, I've not been born yet, because this aired in January of 1995, and I had not graced the world with my presence just yet. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday, whatever it is you celebrate, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever. I hope it was wonderful for you. Um, And I just learned that I have listeners all around the world. So I want to thank you to the people in Canada, Australia, London, and China. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope I bring you joy. And I hope all of you are doing well and staying safe out there. Today it's a really rainy day, so I decided to sit back and record this. As always, if you are new to my Murder, She Wrote podcast, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the episode, the murderer, the suspects, everything in between. You cannot do Murder, She Wrote podcast without doing that. So if you've not recently seen this episode and you're like me, and you are watching alongside me, you can go watch this episode first. One of four ways. If you own the DVDs like I do, get out your season one disc set. This will be disc three, and it will be the last episode on that disc. If you don't own the DVDs like I do, you can watch the episode for free on NBC's Peacock app with limited commercial interruption as well as on IMDB TV with limited commercial interruption as well, or if you have Amazon Prime, I'm told the show is on there. And if you're wondering how in the world did he arrive at episode 10, well, good question. When the when Murder, She Wrote originally came out in 19, on September 30th, 1984, it was a pilot movie like so many shows before it. And they should totally do that now because it would save them time to do a movie to test the waters instead of throwing it out there and seeing if it will be a hit or not. But anyway, it was a pilot movie, and for some reason, when it was sold into syndication... The pilot movie was syndicated into two different parts instead of shown as a movie. So, on IMDb and on NBC's Peacock app, it is listed as episode 1 and 2, but it is considered a movie. The first official episode of Murder, She Wrote was Deadly Lady, so you go with that all the way down the line and you arrive at episode 10, which is the one I'm talking about today. Believe me, when we get to season 2... There will not be any confusion as to what episode I'm talking about. I promise. And I know it's really annoying because even when I was doing my podcast on YouTube, I got confused by what episode number I was covering and had to go retitle all my videos because I got confused too and so did the viewers. But I got it um, completely straight now so I know, you know, exactly what number I'm at. But this is not one of my favorites episodes, but Angela Lansbury's performance, as always, saves it. 
This is a very problematic episode, I have to say, and I want to say before I get started and I start talking about it, I am not a political person. I do not know that much about politics. Um, uh, when I vote, voted for the President of the United States in the last election, I voted independent. That way I'm not swayed from either party and I feel the same way about religion. I will pray at home, but I'm not going to a church and you're not going to tell me how I should worship God. That's how I feel. And if you feel that way, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. Um, but I'm going to just, I have vast knowledge from when I was in school of how this episode kind of works. And that's my knowledge because I don't try to do research into anything like this because it'll take too long to try to sort it out. But let's just say that the things that happened in this episode would not happen in real life by any means at all. So let's get started and I'll get into it because I have a lot to say about this episode, but um, a lot of, there was a lot more listens on the last episode where I did two episodes instead of one, and the reason why I did that was because I couldn't really sit there for like, I don't know, however long, I mean I never time these so I never know how long they're going to be, but I couldn't like talk for an hour and a half on Death Takes a Curtain Call because not a lot happens in the episode. So I would often do that on, on YouTube because it would save time and it would be much more easier for me. Like if I get an episode that, you know, I find out, find I've run out of things to talk about with it. I can find it with another episode and I might do that again since it was so successful. But again, thank you so much for your support. So let's get started with this episode. So we start off this episode in Washington, D.C. I don't think that it was shot in Washington, D.C. I can't find any information if it was or not. Um, we are in the middle of a party for Congressman Kepner, who apparently has just been elected to the Senate floor. We have Congressman Harry Parnell and Ray Dixon celebrating with him. He really wants Congressman Joyner to come who supported him, and as if on cue, Mr. Congressman Joyner shows up. Also there is a woman named Marta Craig, who is who has the same last name as me, only it's, so, it's spelled with a C. My last name is really weird, and everyone mispronounces it and says it wrong. I don't know why, but her last name is similar to mine. But how you say her last name is how you would say mine in case you were wondering. Um, but she's there for some reason taking pictures with a cigarette lighter that is obviously a camera. And it's painfully obvious what she's doing, but no one seems to notice it. So anyway, Congressman Joyner comes in and he's very upset. And he's really upset and angry when he comes to the door. He says, I can't believe they got to you, Dan. And we don't know until later why he's so upset that they got Congressman Kepner drunk. And they make it a point to speak to each other in a corner where Mr. Parnell and Mr. Dixon basically say that they don't like Congressman Kepner. So they have like a reasoning behind this, something to do with a cannery bill. More on that later. Well, Congressman Joyner basically says, I'm going to put you all on full report. It's about time that someone challenged you, Dixon. And he said, I'd like to see you try. And in the midst of yelling at him, Congressman Joyner seems to die from a heart attack. And Marta Craig takes pictures of the incident. We then cut to Jessica who is at her home in Maine, oblivious to everything that has happened. And a man comes by and introduces himself as Howard DeWitt, and he needs to talk to Mrs. Fletcher about some urgent business. And this is where the episode gets problematic, folks, and it's really annoying. So he sits down and he tells Mrs. Fletcher about 
Congressman Joyner's death and how no one knows about his death just yet. Now, the logic behind this and how this happens, because he asks her, he tell, he says, as you know, Ms. Congressman Joyner represented the state of Maine. And now because he is no longer with us, he cannot represent the state of Maine. Okay. So we want you, we have an election for someone to, to uh, fill that seat. But we will not know the results of that election for a few weeks. You are the most famous person in Maine. You are nationally known. So we want you to take over this seat until we find out who wins that election. Now, according to the trivia on IMDb, there at the time this episode first aired, Maine had two representatives in the House. And in the goof section, as per the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 4, representatives can only be replaced by a special election, meaning by elective government official. Now, this is where my vast knowledge from history class comes in. Because I don't know how politics work. I don't really know how government works, but I remember learning about it in school. And, a, and there is a chain of command in place. You cannot just... You cannot just say the most famous person of a state can suddenly be a, a person on the House floor that represents that state. That would be like going and finding, I don't know, an ascendant of Colonel Sanders and basically saying, you're related to the most famous person in Kentucky because of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Will you come represent your state? That would never happen. Just like, you know, if something were to happen to say, and this is like, I don't know, an example, probably a dumb example, but only one I can come up with is uh, if Vanna White was sick and she couldn't turn the letters, it'd be like if they went up to some woman in the supermarket and said, you know, you look really great. Um, Vanna White has the flu. Will you please turn the letters for us until she comes back? The odds of that happening are like zero. Because there's chain of command and they would probably get someone famous to do it. They just would not go up to some random person. That's what this feels like. And then she says, well, I'm not an, you know, I don't have any political event, um, political aspirations. I am not elected official. How can I do this? And apparently she's currently on a voting committee or something. And he says to her, well, that's what makes you perfect. You have no political aspirations. You will do the job as it's intended with no bias. And because you're not an official elective official, you will do the job with heart and integrity. And it's like, um, writers, what are you trying to say here? Are you trying to say that the people who are on the committee floor, who are the representatives of each state, are not doing their job right? I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to figure this out. And it's like, this would not happen. And it feels like to me that, and you could tell this is a season one episode because it's just, oh, so it's not good. And I feel like the thought process behind this was, well, we have sent her to New York in the pilot movie. We have introduced Cabot Cove. We've had about three episodes set in Cabot Cove at this point. We have sent her to San Francisco. We've sent her to Hollywood. We've sent her to some backwoods southern town where a dog can be arrested for murder. <laughs> We've sent her to Seattle. I mean, it seems only fitting that we send her to Washington, but we have to have some sort of, you know, reason for, for her being there. So instead, let's have her be a representative on the Senate floor. 
and the Capitol building, hence the name Capitol Events. And I'm, and it's just so problematic because it would just not happen, according to the goof, the goof section on IMDb, and according to, you know, I remember in history class, there's a chain of command. If someone cannot fill that seat, there is someone waiting in the wings to take over, you know, until that elective official can refill that seat. You know, they're not, I mean, and, and saying that she's the most famous person in Maine, it's like, I guess Stephen King is not, does not exist in this universe because he's the most famous person from Maine. A lot of his stories was set in Maine. So I don't know. I just don't know. But she takes the job, ironically, and she decides to go to Washington and take the job. We get introduced to Joe Brine who is a press agent that can either get her name in the paper or keep her name out of the papers, whichever she prefer. Um, he tells her what hotel she's staying at, and she realizes that he's handling her with kid gloves, and she says to him, Joe, the one thing you have to know is I'm not your old bitty aunt from East Nowhere, so stop handling me with kid gloves. <laughs> I love it. And I don't think this was shot on location in Washington. Um, I've never been in Washington. I've never went to the Capitol building, so I don't know exactly what it looks like. But it doesn't look like what I would imagine the Capitol looks like. I don't know. Um, but when they're driving, they do that old film trick where they put the car on rollers and there's footage of them of of them driving through Washington behind them when they're in the car and beside them. And nine times out of 10, here's something that you may not have known. When you see people driving a car in a show or in a movie, you see them up close and you know how they're always like looking at the person and they're not looking in front of them. And you know, there's looks like there's no one on the road well, nine times out of ten now, you know, they have like a green screen to make it look like they're driving, but they're really not, especially now in sitcoms nowadays. But back then, the car was put on rollers and there was this footage projected behind them. And then if you saw the exterior shot of them driving, they weren't actually in the car driving in the car. Something I learned in drama class that I find fascinating. And it's sad that they don't use that today because you can totally tell, you know, when they get into a car in a sitcom like uh, Big Bang Theory or, or Mom, that it's that, that it's a green screen, that they're not actually, you know, there, which is sad. But, you know, whatever. But uh, she goes to the Capitol and she runs into Congressman Kepner who basically tells her that he wants to talk to her about the cannery bill and get together on it. She basically says, well, he seems like a nice young man. She goes into her office and we get introduced to her new secretary, Diana Sims. Diana Sims basically tells her that when a new congressman comes in, they have their own staff and they fire the the previous staff and it's like do you not know that she's a writer and she has no staff i mean i'm sure you had to have been told this up front it doesn't make any sense that she doesn't know but uh mrs switcher is like i don't have any incoming staff do you like your job and miss m says yes and she says well then you're staying and she picks up her resignation which she put on her desk and throws it away Harry Parnell comes in with flowers and wants to take Mrs. Fletcher out to lunch, but Diana, behind his back, immediately starts telling Mrs. Fletcher no with a hand gesture to the throat, like, don't do it, no. And so she's like, when he finally, she says, perhaps some other time and he never tries again. I, I didn't really understand this scene either. And then he leaves when she says no, and he doesn't try again throughout the rest of the episode. And Mrs. Fletcher says, what was that about? Oh, that's Harry Parnell. He's really invested in this cannery bill. More on that later. And um, 
He wants to wine and dine you to get you over to his side. Oh, a ne'er-do-well, says Mrs. Fletcher. And she says, yes, exactly. So later that night, um, Mrs. Fletcher is taken to her hotel by Joe. Joe mentions that she's a writer, so at least it's brought up and they know. Because throughout the rest of the episode, no one seems to treat her like she's a writer. They automatically call her a congresswoman as soon as she, you know, they see her, which makes no sense either. But, you know, what can you do? We notice as she's talking to Joe and checking into her hotel that there is a man sitting in the lobby listening to their conversation. But where he's sitting and where they are, there's no way that he can hear what they're saying. Later that night, while Mrs. Fletcher is in bed reading about the cannery bill, she gets a call from Congressman Kepner, who has ducked into a bar to call her. He asks her to if he can meet her to talk about Congressman Joyner and the cannery bill. She says she's about to go to sleep and he and asks him if they can meet each other for breakfast at his at her hotel the next day. He says sure and he hangs up and leaves the bar. When he goes outside Martha Marna Craig who we got introduced to earlier in the opening scene of the episode, says, Congressman Kepner, I'm scared. And he says, who are you? And she says, remember at Dick Dixon's party? And she shows him a picture of Congressman Joyner on the floor with all of them around him. And, uh, he remembers and she says, I'm really, really scared. And we cut to the next day. Mrs. Fletcher is coming out of her hotel room. That same man who was watching her the previous day is following her. She gives him the slip and demands to know why he's following her. This is Lieutenant Avery. And he is an odd detective in the in the history of the show. I mean, I'm sure there's weirder ones, but this one takes the cake. Um, I would have to say he's always talking about his stomach and his feet. Basically saying that once they start hurting, he has an instinct that something is happening or something is not right. He's following her around because... He believes that Congressman Joyner was moved because we find out, and this is yet another thing that baffles me, is he dies of a heart attack on the floor of Ray Dixon's penthouse where they're having the party. Instead of calling the police and, and or 911 and saying, this man has had a heart attack, they move his body from the penthouse and put him in bed with some random woman. Why would you do that? I mean, what purpose does that serve? And what's worse is they get away with this. No charges are brought and no explanation is given by the end of the episode of why they did this. And it's like, I don't understand why. What is the point? What was the point of putting him in bed with some random woman that he never met in his life? I mean, that seems really stupid. Well... Miss Fletcher says, well, I wasn't even in town when he, when he died. He said, I know. I, I thought, you know, since you were this mystery writer and all, you would have sort of an idea on how this could happen. She said, well, I assure you, I have no clue. She then goes to her office. And uh, it's time for a committee meeting. And... Uh, as they're leaving, we meet Thor. Yes, that is his name. He's apparently a environmentalist, and he is against the cannery bill, and he wants to talk to Mrs. Fletcher. 
Miss Sims basically dismisses him and says that we do not have time to talk to you. And walks away and she seems visibly upset for some reason. They go to the committee meeting and Ray Dixon begins listing off the reasons why he wants this new cannery. And Mrs. Fletcher leans over to Miss Sims and says, I see that his speech is all written down on a paper. Why are we wasting our time by reading it out loud? That's the way we do things here in Congress. And I don't know if that's the way they do things. I seriously have no clue. Um, so we don't really stay in that meeting. Meanwhile, Congressman Kepner wakes up in an alley on the ground when a homeless man is picking his wallet or trying to take his wallet. He runs into the street after him and he gets arrested because he has blood and makeup on his shirt and blood on his hands. He's taken to the police. Meanwhile, after Mrs. Fletcher gets out of the meeting, Lieutenant Avery is there waiting for her and tells her about what happened. She goes to the police station with Detective Lieutenant Avery and Congressman Kepner talks about moving Congressman Joyner's body. He was drunk out of his mind and he was coerced into doing it. He didn't really know Martha Craig. He went back to her apartment because she was scared because she showed him the picture. He had something to drink, which was ginger ale. And the next thing he knew, he was waking up in an alley. Martha Craig, Marna Craig, has been beaten to death. And apparently violently so. Mrs. Fletcher and Lieutenant Avery go to the morgue. And apparently it's so bad that us, the viewer, can't even see it. Mrs. Fletcher insists that Congressman Kepner could not have done something so vicious and cruel as to hurt her like that. She then has the detective take off his jacket, and then she demonstrates trying to move an unconscious body. Basically, the person would get makeup and blood all over them while moving his body, but if he was the one that beat her up, he would have more blood on him. But he had very little. Obviously, someone's trying to frame him. Mrs. Fletcher goes back, to her office and she talks to Sims, her secretary, and she tells her that Congressman Joyner's body might have been moved. And she asks what his activity was. And then Miss Sims is shocked that, you know, Dan would kill Marta Craig, and so is Joe. They explain why, and this gives an explanation as to why Congressman Joyner was so upset that the party was even taking place, was because apparently Dan Kepner is an alcoholic and has been sober for six years. But he had some sort of falling out with his wife off screen and has fallen off the wagon. And the reason why he was so upset was because they coerced him, coerced him into drinking alcohol when he was not supposed to. And they knew that. So they did it deliberately. And that's why he had a heart attack. I don't know if that's why they decided to move his body. It's never explained. So Mrs. Fletcher asks Joe to dig up as much information as he can on Marta Craig. Meanwhile, Diana goes home. And she's looking in the mirror, and there is Thor. It turns out that her and Thor are lovers, kept undercover, because apparently their relationship, well, we'll get to that in a minute. He's there because he heard about Marna's death and is very afraid because he received a note. Apparently, there are pictures of him in bed with Martha Craig, which were faked, and the note says to stay away from Mrs. Fletcher or there'll be trouble. Unfortunately, this is never followed up. The next day, Miss Sims is not at work. 
and Mrs. Fletcher suspects something is wrong. Joe comes to her and gives her vague information about Marta Craig, and she tells him to, that, and Diana, I forgot to mention Miss Stones in, a, in the previous scene before she goes home, mentions that she doesn't know Marta Craig at all, and that it's tragic that she died or whatever. And then Joe comes and basically says that he didn't really find any useful information. He doesn't know where she went to school or anything about her. And Mrs. Fletcher has a feeling that he's not telling her the full truth, so she tells him to go off and get more concrete information. And when she looks up Miss Sims' address, there's a knock at her door and Mr. Kepner comes in. Mr. Kepner tells her that he has decided to resign as a congressman because he just can't take the pressure anymore. She says, can it be that you are a recovering alcoholic and that you were sober for six years and had a fight with your wife and now you've fallen off the wagon? Would that have anything to do with your decision? And he says, well, yeah, there's way too much pressure on this job. And I'm always away from my wife and kids, and I really would like to quit. And then with this rap of me killing Martha Craig, I haven't picked up a drink since jo Congressman Joyner died. And every day has been a struggle. And she says, I can see that. But doubting yourself isn't a capital offense, hence the title. And... If you have a talk with your wife, see how she feels. You'll be amazed what women in love do for their men. And he's so overcome with emotion, he hugs her. And it's kind of like a mother-son situation going on. And when, she, when he hugs her, she goes, oh my goodness. And he says, I think I actually am not going to quit. I need to stick around and see what happens with this cannery bill. Mrs. Fletcher then goes over to Miss Sims' apartment and she says she wants to go over things for the cannery bill and basically pushes her way in and sits down on the couch. Immediately, the camera zooms in on the ashtray where there are several cigarettes in. Mrs. Sims' eyes go directly to it as she knows that that will be an indication that Thor is there. Mrs. Fletcher immediately notices the ashtray too and basically says, I noticed the no smoking sign on your desk. So the only person could be, so why are you smoking? And then she says, why don't we contact that Thor who was an environmentalist so he can tell us about this cannery bill. She was like, why don't you have him come out of the bedroom? It's okay. And he does. Apparently because he's environmentalist on the project, um, their relationships with their relationship would seem like a conflict of interest. They show Mrs. Fletcher the note and the faked photographs, and she says that it's best that they go to Lieutenant Avery and explain what happened. And they do just that. But first they ask her how she figured out that they were a couple. It's because earlier in the day, Mrs. Fletcher went to Marta Craig's apartment with Detective Avery, which it wasn't staged very well to basically show that, that she was beaten up real bad. But that's what we're supposed to get the impression. And she finds out, she looks at a picture and finds that Diana Sims knew Marta Craig. She went to high school with her and was on the cheerleading squad with her. So she went to the Library of Congress, got information, figured out they all went to the same school, and also knew that they were lovers because of Thor's lion's head clip on his tie. So they go to Lieutenant Avery, they tell him about the fake photos, and there's been no crime committed, so he lets them go. And... The audience is completely baffled as to who killed Congress 
I mean, Martin and Craig and everything in between. So, the next day, while driving erotically, Joe tells Mrs. Fletcher about Marta's last activities the night of her death. Including the bar where she met the congressman outside of Stockman's Bar was the name. Remember this detail. Also, Mrs. Fletcher meets with Kay Shepard, a gossip columnist who I guess is so rich that she can go into restaurants with her cat and they will give him milk, even though they don't allow it. Okay. Kay tells her that Martha came out of the Watergate, which is now a hotel. Or maybe it was always a hotel, I'm not sure. Um... And she was very upset, and Ray Dixon knew her and worked with her closely. Meanwhile, Mr. Parnell meets Ray at a bar and thinks that he murdered Martha Craig and says that if it turns out that he did murder her, he will protect himself first and not Mr. Dixon. So, anyway, the next day, it's hard to remember everything. The next day, Joe tells her all about Martha's activities and takes her back to the office. Mrs. Fletcher runs into Dixon in the hallway, and he tries to tell her how important this cannery bill is to him. She says, oh, Mr. Dixon, I thought you were going to um, talk to me about the death of Marta Craig. You did know her, didn't you? I never spoke to the woman in my life, he says. And she says, it's amazing, isn't it? You didn't even blink. And you didn't even try to choke. Lying must come naturally to you. And he says, I don't understand what you're saying. You knew Martha Craig. Kay Shepard told me that you were coming out of the... That you and her had somewhat of a tiny argument outside the Watergate Hotel. So, obviously, you did know her. So I did know her, but I didn't kill her. She goes into her office, and it's almost time for the the meeting to vote for the cannery bill. And, well, Mrs. Fletcher has an epiphany moment while she's going to the door about going out to lunch. She says she has to go on an errand, and she walks out the door. She comes back several hours later and she says, and she sees Joe is on the phone. She tells Joe that her and Lieutenant Avery, as well as Kay Shepard, found a witness outside of Marta Craig's apartment. They saw a man going up with her, not just along with, with Congressman Kepner, and he looked exactly like Ray Dixon. If they get into Ray Dixon's penthouse, they might find the incriminating photos there, which will indicate him in Marta Craig's death. Craig's death. She, he says, well, then how exactly are we going to get into his penthouse? Oh, I have to go vote on that bill. You just wait until after I'm finished, and then you, me, Kay, and Lieutenant Avery will go in to search it. And now... It's time for the voting list cannery bill. Now, I, I know what a cannery is because of Passions, the soap opera Passions. I don't know if any of you all know it out there, but it was on the air from like 1999 to uh, 2008. Teresa Lopez Fitzgerald gets a job at a cannery. and uh, I, I have so much respect for people who have to work in one of those. They have to like go through fish guts and clean fish and do all kinds of stuff. Um... So I feel for them, and thank you for you, all your work that you do there. So, so there are apparently quite a few canneries in Maine, and this is a bill to open a new one. Okay, so Mrs. Fletcher has sat down, sits down, and they call her a congresswoman. Kepner has been stalling them by basically reading off histories of canneries and 
all this other stuff until she got there. And then when she finally comes in, he says, I will get the floor to my distinguished congresswoman from Maine, Miss Jessica Fletcher. Jessica asks if they can, if she can say a few words. And the con the leader says, if they're brief, yes. She says, I've been researching this cannery bill and there are six canneries within my district that has shut down. The one that they want to build is not that far from where I live in Cabot Cove, and there are six canneries that are abandoned. And it is my understanding that Mr. Dixon wants to build a new cannery, but wouldn't it make sense to basically open up those other canneries back open because so many jobs were lost? We have this notion where when where buildings and people become outdated that we should dispose of them. So instead of doing that, why don't we just use what canneries are there? Three of them are yours, Mr. Dixon. You've put you've taken a lot of money out of the state of Maine. It's time you put some back. And I think this is this applies to today. I mean, this episode aired almost 38 years ago. Um, 1985, almost 38 years ago, I think. And there's a lot of abandoned houses in several states and abandoned factories and things that they don't use anymore. And all they have to do is just update the equipment. And people could have hundreds and hundreds of jobs, but they won't do that. And I don't understand why. And if you not let the houses rot, there wouldn't be that many homeless people. And their people would have more jobs. I don't understand why we do that. And it's sad that this is still going on. Um, so they vote not to have a new cannery. Meanwhile, someone breaks into Mr. Dixon's penthouse. And we finally figure out who the killer is. Drum roll, please. It's Joe. Joe is the killer. So many questions are coming. Uh, he apparently, Martha was apparently working for him and she got too big for her britches and he beat her to death. Why? Also, he knows that Mrs. Fletcher is a mystery writer. He knows she has a rep reputation for solving murder. I mean, it has to be known by now. So, exactly, why would he stick around? Why would he make it painfully obvious that he's the killer? And it makes no sense. He says, Martha got too big for her britches, and I had to take care of her. But unlike most of the of the episodes where the killer basically explains what happened and and we see what he does to the victim as much as they allow, we don't get to see that flashback. We don't get to see what his motivation was or why he did it. And he tries to say, well, I'm no different than anyone else in this town. Everyone has a price tag, Mrs. Fletcher. Everyone does. And when the policeman tries to grab him, it's like he thinks he's above being manhandled and like puts his hand up like he's going to hit him and then gives the photos to Detective Avery because he was going to plant them. But how she figured it out was um, Kepner didn't know what bar he ducked into. He had no idea. I mean, it absolutely made... He slipped up and told her the name of the bar. He didn't know what bar he actually ducked into because he was just making a phone call. He didn't stay there and get a drink or eat it or anything. But the only one that could have told him was Martha. And I can't believe that he... He doesn't look like the type of person that would beat a woman to death. And it's like... I don't understand why he beat her to death. Well, he gets arrested and all is well. But Mrs. Fletcher says... It's not true what he said. Not everyone is like 
like that in this town. For every Dixon and Parnell, there's a Kepner somewhere around the corner and a Congressman Joyner. Not everyone is bad. Not everyone is in it for the money. The Lieutenant Avery decides to take her to some sort of deli where they have a platter of locks and cream cheese platter or something. And that's where it ends. Before I get to the guest stars, um, on New Year's Eve, it was announced that Golden Girl star Betty White passed away at the age of 99. I grew up watching Betty White on the Golden Girls. It was my it is my go-to show whenever I'm feeling down, as well as Murder She Wrote. I'm not sure if Betty White ever did a Murder She Wrote. It'd be awesome if a if a surprise episode I haven't seen with her pops up, but I don't think it's gonna happen. But uh I really loved Betty White. I thought that she was the most hilarious person and she was the last cast member of the Golden Girls, and now they're all gone. And I hope they were reunited in heaven, and may she rest in peace. I loved her with all my heart, and my condolences go to her family and friends. And I hope that she gets to meet my grandma, because my grandma loved the Golden Girls. And I, I bet you um, she met B. Arthur and Rue McClanahan and Estelle Getty, and now she gets to meet Betty White. And I'd like to believe that, you know. I miss her already. Betty White was a was a one of a kind. Really a wonderful lady. I wish I could have met her. But someday maybe I will when I go to heaven. Hopefully not anytime soon. Alright, so like I said, this episode was very pro- problematic. And I have to say that... I don't like the excuse they use for Jessica to be in Congress. I don't think that she needed to be in the thick of things like that for this episode to work. I didn't understand why they moved Congressman Joyner's body and put it in bed with a random woman. I don't understand what the purpose of that was. It just makes no sense to me. And this is not, this is probably the weakest episode of season one, I would have to say. But Angela Lansbury's speech at the Cannery Bill thing and her overall performance saves the episode. So, but they and they all all can't be good, folks. Alright, let's go over the the guest stars. There wasn't a lot of famous guest stars, but I did notice some that I recognized. Edie Adams played the role of Kay Shepard. She looked familiar, but I can't place her, so we'll see. She, unfortunately, died at the age of 81 in 2008. She's known for It's a Mad Mad World. That's what I know her from. I love that movie. The Apartment, Up in Smoke, and The Oscar, 1966. Never heard of that. Her last known... um. Credit is 2004's Great Performances in Roger and Hammerstein's Hammerstein's Cinderella as the Fairy Godmother. She guest starred on Designing Women, um, but it doesn't say is who. Um, Trapper John M.D. This is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. She was on As the World Turns. CBS's Children's Mystery Theater. The original Fantasy Island, Vegas. She was in the pilot episode of Bosom Buddies. She was in the TV series Mrs. Columbo, The Love Boat. Police Woman, The Practice, 1976. McMullen and Wife, Love, American Style, The Lucy Show. The Red Skeleton Isle. Hour, sorry. Hour, and it's Mad Mad World. I love that movie. It's so funny. It's so hilarious to watch that. She was really good in this episode, but unfortunately she got literally nothing to do. Um, 
Herschel Bernardi played our Lieutenant Avery. He died in 1986 at the age of 62. He is known for Peter Gunn, the TV show. Murder by Contract, 1954. Artie, um, a TV show from 1970 72. And Imra Ladouche, um, I have met with Shirley McLean and Jack Lennon. His last known credit is a TV movie called Taking It Home. I do not know. He, was, he guest starred on The Magical World of Disney, Highway to Heaven. Hail to the Chief. This is the only episode of Marks you wrote. Um, and a miniseries called 7th Avenue. Um, Roman and Martin, Ro, Roman and Martin's Laughing. He was also in the Red Skeleton Isle. Our, I don't know why I said, I keep saying, I don't know, our, our. Route 66, the Dick Powell, Powell Theater, Car 54, Where Are You, The Untouchables, Naked City. Oh, and he did some voiceover work on the Simpsons, on the Flintstones. I love the Flintstones. He was in the original Bonan Bonanza. So I don't really remember seeing him in a lot of stuff, but he had a good career. May he rest in peace. Maybe he gets to meet Betty White. Linda Casely played Diana Sims. She is currently alive. She is known for the show Lou Grant, which was a spinoff from Mary Tyler Moore. A TV series called Day by Day, Madlock, and Eleanor and Franklin, um, a movie in 1976. Her last known credit is a short called The Egg Timer. She guest starred on Touched by an Angel. Oh, and she will be in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. And one of my favorites ones, Jessica Behind Bars. Awesome. Can't wait for that one. I love that one. We'll go over her credentials then once we get to that. Um, Stephen Mar. M-A-C-H-T starred as Kepner. I can't pronounce his last name. I'm so sorry. He is still alive. He's known for The Monster Squad, Graveyard Shift, Raid on Eby, and Gal Galaxy something. His last known credit is in a music video, As Long As You Need Me. He was in the TV show Suits, Doubt. He was on General Hospital in 2007 to 2009 as Taylor Lasting. Um, Boston Public, Jack and Jill, TV series I've never heard of. The Others, TV series Chicken Soup for the Soul, Sliders, that was a good show. The Practice, 1999. Walker, Texas Ranger, Jag, Tarzan, The Epic Adventures. Melrose Place is Ed. Huh, okay. He was on One Life to Live as Dr. Elliot Durbin. Wow, and he will appear in several other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. So we'll go over more of his credentials then. He did look familiar, so he's been in a lot of things. Um, Nicholas Pryor played the role of Harry Parnell. Parnell. He is still living as well. He will celebrate his birthday on January 28th. So happy birthday in advance. He is known for Damien, The Omen 2, Risky Business, Collateral Damage, and The Hunger Games, Mockingjay. His last known credit is recently in Halloween Kills, the sequel to the 2018 remake Halloween, which I did not like. 
But moving on, he was also in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, he wow, he's still acting. Nashville, Heart of Dixie. Um, October Road, Wild Card, Without a Trace. NYPD Blue, Strong Medicine. I love that. Diagnosis Murder, Without Warning. Port Charles as Victor Collins. The West Wing, Party of Five. Love that show. Silk Stockings, Beverly Hills 90210 as Chancellor Milton Arnold. I think I vaguely remember that. Diagnosis Murder. Cadney and Lacey together again. A Walton Wedding, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Chicago Hope. Picket Fences. I just recently started watching that that show and it's interesting so far. Madlock. L.A. Law. Oh, and he will appear in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote in 1990 and 1991. So we'll go over more of his credentials then. But he's had quite the career. Good for you. Being in Halloween Kills. Hopefully Michael didn't kill him. But I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Mitchell Ryan played the role of Way Dixon, Ray Dixon, the one who was for the cannery. He is still alive. He will celebrate his birthday on January 11th. He was born in 1934. Happy birthday in advance. He is known for Goose Point Blank, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Ooh, you wouldn't want to be known for that. Liar, Liar, and the original Lethal Weapon. He's been in 136 different things. He's currently in pre-production of something called Valley of Shadows. He guest starred on The Drew Carey Show, The West Wing, did some voiceover work in Justice League. He was on the sitcom Dorma and Greg um, in the miniseries Aftershock Earthquake in New York. I like that miniseries. He was in The Practice, um, Wings, um, Silk Stockings, and he will appear in three other episodes of Murder, She Wrote, so we'll go over more of his credentials then. And like I said, happy birthday to him. Our killer was played by Gary Sandy. He is still alive. And he was born on Christmas Day in 1945. So happy birthday, Mr. Sandy. He is known for The Insider, um, 1999, uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, The Young and the Restless, and the movie Troll in 1986. He does seem like a soap opera actor. His last known credit is a TV movie in 2004 called A Place Called Home. And Lightning, Fire from the Sky. Um, he played the role of Terrence Kelly on um, Young and Restless. He guest starred in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Diagnosis Murder, Unlikely... Oh, he was in the movie Unlikely Angel with uh, Dolly Parton. I love that movie. Oh, and he will be in another episode of Murder, She Wrote, so we'll go over more of his credentials then. Thor was played by Mark Shaga, S-H-E-R-A. I cannot pronounce that, I'm sorry. He is still alive. He is known for Barnaby Jones, the original 1976 to 1980, Taken, 2002, SWAT, TV show, 1975-76, and Black Mask, 1996. His last known credit is Taken miniseries um, in 2002. He was also on Beverly Hills 90210. Um, and he will appear in three other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. So we will go over more of his credentials then. And Frank, uh, a letter played the role of Congressman Wendell Joyner. He looked familiar. 
He passed away in 2009 at the age of 83. He is known for Toro, 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 1970, The Fall Guy TV show, 1982 to 1985. It's About Time TV show, 1966-67, and a TV show called Nancy in 1970. His last known credit is a TV movie called Lassie. Peace is our profession, but it doesn't say what he played. Oh, he guessed out on the spinoff, The Law and Harry McGraw. Which we haven't got to Harry McGraw yet, but I can't wait. Um, he guest starred on Madlock, um, Falcon Crest, TJ Hooker, Dallas, The Golden Girls in the pilot episode. He played Harry. I knew he looked familiar. And I know that the guy that played Ray Dixon was also on The Golden Girls, so it's nice that they have that in common. Three's a Crowd, Hotel, this is his only episode of Murder She Wrote. Simon and Simon, The Facts of Life, Private School, Alice, and he was in the in the in the soap opera Capital, which was a, which 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 was why this episode was released because to capsize on that, but it wasn't on very long. But that's interesting. He was on the TV show Hello Larry, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Emergency. Police Woman, The Bionic Woman, All in Fam All in the Family, What's Happening, Rich Man, Poor Man, The Invisible Man, Marcus Welby, MD, Kojak, Kojak the Night Stalker, The Six Million Dollar Man, Planet of the Apes, TV series, Adam Twelve, The Magical World of Disney, MASH, TV show, Maud, I love Maud. Lassie, the original Lassie, or no, no, the 70s remake. The FBI, Nanny and the Professor, Love American Style. So, he was in a lot of stuff. Good for you, dude. May you rest in peace. Your legacy lives on. And Kobe Chasler played the role of Harold of... Uh, yeah, Harold DeWitt, who asked Mrs. Fletcher to take over the seat. He is alive. He just recently celebrated his birthday on November 17th, so happy birthday, dude. He is known for Emergency, Fear, First Encounter video game, and The Young and the Restless. He is in pre-production for something called Constantine the Great. He did some voiceover work for Deadliest Catch, Storm, Alaskan Storm video game, um, Simon and Simon in Trouble Again, Married with Children, The Young and the Restless, he played Michael Crawford. Can't believe they had a character named that. There's an actor named that. The original Knott's Landing. Um, this is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was on The Facts of Life in 1984. He was in the original Fantasy Island, Trapper John M.D., um, Dynasty, the original Dynasty, Vegas, Lou Grant, Days of Our Lives as Kurt Randall, Mrs. Columbo, From Here to Eternity TV show, Sword of Justice, Dukes of Hazard, The Harvey Corman Show, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries, Husbands, Wives, and Lovers TV show, I don't, I've never heard of that. Skartsky and Hutch, and Wonder Woman. He was also on Emergency, McMullen and Wife, Kojak, Six Million Dollar Man, Marcus Welby, MD. So he was, he was in a lot of, a lot of things. Good for him. He didn't get much to do in this episode. And our murder victim. Uh, was played by Gwen Humble, and she, unfortunately, is uncredited. I don't know why. She's still alive. She just celebrated her birthday. She was had a birthday on December 4th. So, happy belated birthday, madam. She's known for being there, Remington Steel, Jag, and the American Way. 
Her last known credit is Jag. She was in a TV series called Lovejoy. Absolutely fabulous. Revolver. Oh, that's a TV movie. Werewolf, which is a TV series. This is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote, but she was uncredited. Three's Company, The Greatest American Hero, The Scarlet O'Hara War. I don't know what that is. That's a TV movie. And Doctor's Private Lives. So, yeah. That's our guest stars. And I love, absolutely love the next episode I'm going to cover, which is called Broadway Melody. It is one of my all-time favorites because Luna Lunt is in it, Judy Garland's daughter. Absolutely love this episode. Well, guys, like I said, Happy New Year. Hope you had a wonderful holiday, whatever it is that you celebrate. And I plan on getting through season one really quick in 2021. I mean, 2022. See, it's always so hard to get used to the new year. I'm going to be accidentally writing that down when I put the date down on something. But anyway, and again, I'm really sad about Betty White passing away, but I know that she's reunited with her co-stars like Mary Tyler Moore, Cloris Leachman, Valerie Harper, Estelle Getty, B. Arthur, and Rue McClanahan. And I hope that they get to, they got all got to meet my grandma and my Aunt Jackie because they love them. Anyway, anyway, I... We'll see you on the next one. Happy crime solving. Have a great day and night, depending on when you listen to this. And thank you for your continued support.